Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science and boy howdy do we have an episode for you today. My name is Chris and I am I am very excited as is most of the astronomical and astrophysical community. Why? Because of the latest gravitational wave observation. Gravitational waves remember are those ripples in space and time caused by cosmological events out in the universe. Uh, you know, big collisions between things like black holes and, and well, neutron stars, which is the latest uh, observation. Yes, this uh, discovery that won this year's Nobel Prize in Physics has now achieved yet another amazing success with an observation of neutron stars colliding. That, as I will explain, has revealed so much about our universe, confirmed some theories and taught us some new things. And speaking of totally unexpected things, Stu this week is talking to Chloe Plett from Curtin University in Western Australia, who has discovered a ichthyosaur fossil, that's an extinct prehistoric reptile, uh, with soft tissues in its uh, in its fossils. This is like blood and cholesterol, red blood cells, white blood cells, and other elements of blood, uh, revealing more about uh, the biology and the diet of these extinct reptiles. Exciting science, uh, all coming up on this week's Lost in Science. On with the show. Science. The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of Lost in Science, our ongoing mission to explain strange new words, to seek out new science and new explanations, to boldly go where no radio has gone before. Yes, you're listening to Lost in Science. My name is Chris. And uh, Stu, do you remember when the first gravitational waves were detected? Yeah, was this, this was last year or the year before? I can't recall. It was exactly. February 2016. It was announced. Yeah, and yeah, it was. Um, astronomers were really excited. And they, I think they managed to generate a fair bit of excitement around the world, saying that this would be a new era in astronomy, and everyone else shared that excitement. It felt really good for them. But I'm sure that most people thought. I don't quite get what's so. What's the big deal? Don't don't really understand what what a gravitational wave is. Yeah, but also even how is this going to show you new things? Like what actually is a, you know, the, the, what is it going to reveal? And well, we do have an answer now. We have a new discovery that has given us fantastic insights and it shows the power of this new um, era of astronomy. So what's happened? This is the detection just recently of colliding neutron stars. Um, they were first detected by the gravitational waves and then using the entire electromagnetic spectrum. And this 
single event has taught us so much about our universe, and it's fantastic. So, so they detected the gravitational waves from two colliding neutron stars, and then what? They were alerted to the fact that there was two colliding neutron stars, and, and honed in and watched them further. Or yeah, is pretty that much. What so look, I'll give you a bit of bit of give background. So yeah, so February twenty seventeen they announced twenty sixteen, sorry, they announced their first discovery of gravitational waves, the actual actual detection using the uh, advanced laser interferometer gravitational observatory or LIGO. Uh, and this won the Nobel Prize in Physics for this year to um, three of the main people involved, which was Rainer Weiss, Barry Barish, and Kip Thorne. Um, but that was colliding black holes that caused that signal that they saw then. Um, since then, there have been three other observations of colliding black holes, which, you know, black holes are pretty big and they make big collisions and they send big ripples throughout space-time. But the problem with black holes is, well, being black, there's not much to see. You, you can't, there's nothing to see because all the light yeah. gets sucked into them and that's the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So neutron stars were, which are smaller than black holes, where they were kind of the, the main game. So a neutron star is basically, it's a leftover from a supernova generally. So a, a massive star, many times the size of the sun, explodes and its core collapses under its own gravity. The gravity gets so strong that the electrons are pulled into the nuclei of atoms and you're basically just left with uh, neutrons making up this neutron star. So they can be about the size of a small city, roughly, in diameter, but they weigh more than our sun. So they're quite small as stars go. They're very small and very, very dense. But quite massive yeah. in, in, in terms of how much they... Yeah. Way, I yeah. guess, if you wanted to think of it as weight. But, exactly. Yeah. Um, they often also, a lot of stars are found in, in binary systems, and particularly these very massive stars that cause, that form neutron stars are often found in binaries. And so when, they, um, when the binary neutron stars orbit each other, they actually eventually slow down. Well, so they, they lose energy, giving off as gravitational waves, which is what we detect, and eventually they will um, spin into each other and collide, which is so what the, we detect. So the gravity of the two stars pulls them together. Yeah, they're orbiting each other. But yeah. what's, actually, no, what's actually happening is they're losing energy in the form of gravitational waves. Just by, just by their orbit, they're giving off gravitational waves, and this is energy being lost in the system. So normally, without that, then the orbit would go on forever. Okay. But the fact they're losing energy makes them fall into each other. So this was the theory, at least. Um, and um, the idea is we would see this, we would basically see the radiation that they give off when they collide. Um, then on the 17th of August, 2017, uh, LIGO and another observatory, there's been another one come online since then, the Advanced Virgo Detector, which is based in Italy. It's a European collaboration. Both observatories detected a signal that matched this prediction for neutron stars. And so what they did is they sent out an alert to select members of the astronomy community, saying basically saying, Look to the stars. And everyone did. Um, but before they did that, they didn't have a chance because like 1.7 seconds after the gravitational waves were observed, the Fermi Gamma Ray Space Telescope um, detected gamma rays, uh, a gamma ray burst. This is a very short burst of high-energy um, high gamma rays. Um, these, these gamma ray bursts had been observed for a long time. The theory was that they came from these colliding neutron stars. So... Um, Tick, this was a nice um, confirmation that that's actually where they came from. So that was just a little thing that happened on the side while everyone was kind of waking up to the idea that there was this, um, this collision. Um, meanwhile, okay, so then astronomers from the, around the world, they all pointed their telescopes um, at the, the spot in the sky because we had these di two different observatories, different parts of the world. We were able to triangulate it to a part of the sky. It wasn't a very narrow down part of the sky. It was still about 150 times the area of the full moon. It's a fairly big area to search. Mm. 
but it took less than a day for someone to to notice something. This was the um, the one meter two hemispheres team. They were using a telescope in the Atacama Desert in Chile. They noticed there was a bright object near a, a galaxy NGC four nine nine three, which is one hundred thirty million light years away in the constellation of Hydra. For those who are playing at home. Um, so once they felt, saw that, this, this new basically dot that wasn't there, everyone knew where to look, so everyone pointed all the telescopes at this one particular source. And so that was where the, the money was. And so the light that they saw, that the telescope saw, was something called a kilonova. So not a supernova, not just a nova, but a kilonova. Now, is that, is that less than a supernova? Or? Well, it's just a different name. It is kind of less than a supernova, because a supernova is from... I don't know. Okay, so a supernova is when, um, as I said, a star kind of collapses and it, it blows off its outer layers in a huge explosion. What this is, is, this is basically the shock wave from the colliding neutron stars ripples through the gas around it and it causes a whole lot of new nuclear reactions and causes a lot of light and other radiation to be to be released. Now, um, this is interesting itself because we've got this light, we're able to measure the spectrum of the light and we're able to see what the nuclear reactions were creating. And this is where we found another thing. So um, we learned about where elements come from in the universe. So as you might be familiar, the, the, um, after the Big Bang, after everything cooled down, we've got some of the lightest elements. We've got hydrogen, mostly hydrogen, but a little bit of helium and, and, other, and lithium and other stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the rest of the stuff that, that we're made out of is mostly made from supernova explosions. So what happens is inside stars you get nuclear fusion reactions that make the heavier elements. Um, when you get the stars get really, really big and they start really, really active about to explode, they make all these heavy elements, things and carbon they, and oxygen and nitrogen and everything. Don't they, don't they sort of expand and contract? And that, they do, yeah. Just before they explode, they sort of do this sort of pumping in and out thing and that's when a whole lot it's of it's all that the compression stuff, yeah causes yeah. yeah causes these higher energy reactions and you basically get everything up to iron at that point um so where does the heavier stuff come from because a lot of heavier metals than iron yeah iron's not the heaviest thing and this is where the kilonova comes in so it has like a much stronger compression wave that goes through also a lot of neutrons coming out of the neutron star mm. and so you get um the source of material for all these heavier elements so they looked at the the spectrum from this life from this kilonova and they saw that it was making gold Gold, baby. Gold. There was basically as much gold as the entire mass of Earth. That's about a thousand trillion tons. And so this basically suggests that the gold that we actually have here on Earth was also created in such a cataclysmic event, a kilonova billions of years ago. Right. So this is why this thing is so exciting. Look at all the things that we learned from this one little event. We learned that we can, we are able to detect neutron star collisions using gravitational waves and triangulate where they are in the sky. We can um, compare that gravitational waves with the um, conventional astronomy to, to learn new things on different, different um, sort of types of radiation. We learned that neutron star collisions produce a gamma ray burst, which we, you know, we didn't really know about. And we learned that gamma rays, basically, they arrived at the same time as the gravitational waves, which tells us that they travel at the speed of light is the same as the speed of the gravitational waves. It means it's probably constant. It probably is the ultimate speed limit of the universe that Einstein suggested. We also we learned where gold comes from. And we learned that um, that we can do all this with thousands of astronomers on working on different projects or coordinate their efforts with all lots of different telescopes around the world to discover um, these collaborative make these collaborative discoveries. It is absolutely huge. It, it is it is really quite amazing. But one thing I want to know: so this is one hundred and thirty million light years away. Yeah. So it would take one hundred and thirty million years at the speed of light. There's probably no point going to get the gold. Really, is there? No, probably not. But we know what's out there. You know, the fact that you see this big bright light in the sky and it's like, oh, it's made of gold. That is kind of cool. That is cool. 
I'm Maggie Darren Pocock, and you're listening to Lost in Science on 3CR. One thing we do love on Lost in Science is a good story about fossils. And I guess most of us think about fossils as being, um, you know, bits of old bones or, you know, hard hard parts of animals that have been preserved one way or another uh, and have turned into, turned into effectively rock pressings of what animals uh, used to look like a long time ago. But a recent discovery of some fossil bones in Germany have revealed some very interesting soft tissues in contained within the fossils, which is very unusual. And I have got one of the researchers who was working on these fossil specimens, Chloe Plett, who is a researcher at Curtin University. Thanks for joining us on Lost in Science, Chloe. Hi, thank you for inviting me. You are based in Western Australia at Curtin University, but these fossils were dug up in Germany. How did how did you get your hands on them? Who funded the project and who was involved in the collaboration? The project was funded mainly by an ARC Discovery Outstanding Research Award to Professor Kitty Grice, my supervisor, and we had extra funding from the Institute for Geoscience Research and Curtin University for my international fees. And um, the conclusion was collected from southwest Germany by my co-supervisor, Professor Lorenz Schwarz, who is a German professor, but also uh, in Kiel University, but is also an adjunct professor from Curtin University. Overall, we did a this work in collaboration with uh, various institutions such as the CSIRO, well, Kiel University, uh, the John DeLeter Center, and Curtin. Um, well, basically, there was part of a collaboration. Was one of my co-supervisors during my PhD is an adjunct professor at Curtin University, and he's based in Germany, so he gave us access to those fantastic samples. Now, it is... These samples were from an ichthyosaur. What's an, ichthy- an ichthyosaur? Um, that's an ancient mari- marine reptile. Like it's basically looking very similar to a modern-day dolphin, but instead of being a mammal, it was a reptile. The ichthyosaur fossils that were discovered in Germany, they were fossilised in a very particular way and somehow preserved soft tissues in with the bones? Basically, it's by degrading the organic matter, superficial organic matter, it yep. changed the microenvironments, and uh, they somehow, at the same time, they, they degrade it, they preserve it in a very isolated way from the environmental condition. 
and they preserve it from further microbial degradation or, or just scavenger degradation and so on. Okay. And, which and is, sorry, which no, is important no, as well because um, those concretions, those microbial carbonates, form only nanoxic environments, almost only nanoxic environments. So you don't really have scavengers. You only really have microbial degradation of the organic matter. That takes longer, and that uh, allows for preservation as well. So what, what were the tissues that were preserved in these bones? Well, obviously the hard tissues, as you mentioned in your introduction, yeah. uh, the bones, like the bone itself, uh, the bone matrix was preserved, the mineral, mineral bone. Um, but also, well, we, we found some collagen fibers and some white and red blood cells and what we think are platelets-like as well. So we have various types of blood cells preserved within the vertebra bone. What is interesting is the fact that it's a vertebra, potentially that's where the blood cells are fabricated and are produced by any vertebrates. So that was very interesting to find them in situ, if we can say so. Yeah, it is really, really interesting to actually have um, tissues like that that you can investigate directly rather than just, I guess guessing what they were doing or how it worked, but you've actually got the samples that you can work with. Yes, and that's also building on another project from my working group and uh, from my supervisor, uh, Professor Clitty Grice. Before me, she had another student working on carbonate concretion, and well, Clitty is specialized in biomarkers. So it's molecular fossil. People often talk about morphological fossil. That's what everyone is aware of. But there are also some molecular fossils, and they were very successful in finding the oldest cholesterol and the oldest sterols in a carbonate concretion. That's where uh, we decided. That's what we decided to build on, and looking at more recent concretion. And one of those concretion had this uh, pictures are born in it, and we decided to apply some more uh, well imaging techniques as well. Like I've been studying the organic matter and the biomarkers, the molecular fossils themselves, and as well the sub-tissues. Right, so, but this gives a, a sort of a different view of fossils in a way, I guess, um, looking at the biology of the animals themselves and not just the, the morphology, as you said. Um, is there anything in particular about this ichthyosaur fossil that was interesting in its biological or molecular um, makeup? Well, yes, obviously we were uh, finding, finding the, those red blood cells and those white blood cells, finding that is pretty exceptional in itself. Yeah. Of this age, it's 180 million years old. So it's a bit more than that. So imagine things being preserved over such a long amount of time is, long period of time is like something very exceptional and we were also very lucky to have such a, an exceptional sample to work on. Um, the cholesterol itself, uh, we, we are all aware of cholesterol in our own ways, but it's, the thing it gave us, the information it gave us, 
is it gave us information on the diet of these extinct ichthyosaurs. Also, in other papers and in the literature, you find ichthyosaurs with gut content, so you can look at literally look at what he's been eating. Yes, yeah. we had the trace of that in the molecular way with the cholesterol, and it's is a stabilized topic composition. So you could actually you could actually analyze what was what was in the blood to figure out what the animal was eating before it died. Uh, that's a bit more tricky than that, but yes, we could see its lipids. Could see some of the pictures are lipids, and doing isotopic uh, measurements on it, it, it would reflect a diet. And in our case. The, di- the isotopic measurements really matched the known diet for Ichthyosaur. So it, did, it confirmed that what, what people thought they ate, they actually did eat? Yeah, it confirmed that, well, it confirmed that the cholesterol was really coming from the Ichthyosaur, and it confirmed that it has uh, cephalopod and fish diet, so basically it was eating uh, octopus, octopi and fish. Right. But it's yeah, still it's it's pretty amazing to actually have organic matter lasting 180 million years to actually be able to look at it now. Um, yes and no. <laughs> In the way that uh, organic matter being preserved at up to cert- a certain degree is something quite common. For example, uh, all petroleum products are preserved organic matter over time. It's like molecular fossil that we use in our car on a daily basis. Yeah. What is exceptional is we got some organic matter that was not altered. Um, and that's the thing. Like in, in, in oil and gas, in petroleum, the products are organic matter, but they've been altered through times. While in our case, cholesterol is directly related to the organism. It's, it's been produced by the organism and preserved in the same way. It's not been changed over time. That is a really exceptional and exciting finding on the biomarker aspect. You, you've kind of finished this work and you've just submitted your PhD thesis, is that correct? Yeah, I've actually submitted it a while ago, but um, as I had a baby in between, it took me a certain amount of time to to finish my corrections, and I'm recently uh, completed my PhD, and I know I'm a doctor. Thank you for joining us on Lost in Science. Uh, doctor... Uh, thank you again. Thank you for inviting me. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook. Uh, And if that's not enough Lost in Science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost in science.
Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.